spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house we're on zoom again today now this is quite an unusual podcast this one because i've just been on this lady's podcast and now i'm she's coming on spoken label so the podcast in question is the Florida Writer Podcast. And the lady I've got with me today is Alison Neeson. So Alison, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody, first of all, to love obviously who you are, where you come from, and what started off your creativity? And we'll start from there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andy, for having me on. I am Alison Neeson, and my writing career began officially in 2012. I had always loved to write, but I had dyslexia and just assumed I couldn't write because it was challenging and I couldn't spell. And my head thought, if I can't spell, I can't write. I was, that was reinforced when I was, you know, going through school. And so it was just a challenge, but I ended up with a literature degree and so I love to read and I love to talk about writing, but then somebody actually asked me to write their story. It was a true crime story and he needed someone to put the words on paper. He couldn't do it himself. And I said, sure, I can do it. And I did. So I wrote his story and we won an award and it was really exciting and it really stretched me. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, I can, I can believe you straight away with that. Now, obviously, like, have you been dyslexic? When when was this discovered? Did you always have the feeling you were dyslexic when you were growing up? Or? I always had a feeling. It wasn't officially diagnosed until I had a son who was diagnosed with it. But when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, which here in the U.S. is about age 14, my teacher said there was no way I would ever be college bound and sent me on a different path than I had anticipated because I couldn't spell. And, you know, I, it, in some ways, that was my motivation to do what I do now because I am able to work. I'm a college professor. 
I'm able to work with students and I am able to look at them as a whole person and not just one segment like, oh, well, you can't do this. This means you can't do anything. And my goal is to really help the students work with their own issues in their own lives and what they have going on. We are all multidimensional people. We have so much that happens to us every single day. And when somebody is ignorant and they don't look at the whole person, all we're doing is setting them up for failure. And I'm all about setting people up for success. Yeah, I think I think on the way a lot of teachings changed over the last 20 years. Because certainly in my case, without obviously we talked in your podcast before, I'm dyspraxic. And that was only picked up when I was 28, 29 territory. I'd always, I'd known for years before that that I had there was something wrong. And in my case, it took some time for my family to accept it as well, because they wouldn't believe it. But then it's proven for my case that my mum's got a lot of the same problems I have, so I know where it's come from. And he because hereditary, no doubt. But yeah, it's a really weird thing, I think, because the way teaching has changed for the past 20 years, I'm sure you agree with me in this. It's, we've been encouraged now to look at people in different ways, haven't you, really? Absolutely, we do. We, yeah, 20 years ago when I first started, when I first started teaching, which uh, could be about 20 years ago, maybe actually even a little <laughs> more than that. When I first started teaching, I had an emergency certificate. I was living on a military base and they needed a professor and I didn't have the graduate degree, but I had a bachelor degree. And so they're like, that's good. That's fine. You can, you can teach the freshman class, not a big deal. And I was so afraid that there was no way I would be able to do it. Everyone would know I was a fraud. I left that first class so exhilarated. I was on cloud nine. You can't believe how excited I was. And I instantly found my passion. But the one thing I made sure of is I never, ever, ever graded with a red pen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. I know. It's, I can't blame you. I wouldn't be comfortable doing that either. So I've been teaching myself and it's... I think the red pen is, because you look at things, do it like it's it's a bit more harsh and I think you need to be sometimes, that's why. So I used to be dread getting assignments back at school with circles around words, don't understand, paragraphs crossed out, not needed, paragraphs, question mark and stuff. They get believe it very good to you know what you're doing. So, yeah, I completely agree. Now, I want to ask you today, obviously, we're here to take really to talk about cool bits and pieces, but... I want to ask you first of all about your Florida Writer podcast. For people that are interested, where did this come from originally? Mm, the Florida Writer podcast. I happened to be president of the Florida Writers Association at the time and decided they needed a podcast and that I would do the podcast. So that's how it started. I had had a publishing company that I was working on my own. I was doing some ghostwriting, the story, for example, that I mentioned before that along with a lot of editing and I would run it, everything through the production company and my, I wanted my own podcast and it was going to be Three Dog Tales Radio. My company was Three Dog Tales Publishing and I was super excited and I discovered that uh, it's a lot of work if there's not anyone there to push you to get stuff done and so I shelved it and about a year later I thought, you know what, 
let's do it for the Florida Writers Association. Then I've got somebody on my tail making sure it's done. And it's not all on my all on me. <laughs> Getting the visual exactly. whip out, yeah. Exactly. So I just set out to to do it. And the person who had been the president before me was clueless. And she's like, okay, whatever podcast is, just go for it. And that was about three years ago. And I've been trying to get one out. I'd like to say I get one out every week. I don't because I think I'm only at about 80 shows. So it's obviously not every week. However, I've been really good lately. And and so every Saturday now I'm trying to have a show drop, which is which is great for my own discipline. It's good discipline to get into. I'm not like that. <laughs> not my spoken <laughs> label. Usually it me it's usually one a week or sometimes two. Depends, you know what I mean, what the backlog's like or what I've got going on. So but yeah, I get you mean now. Obviously, people are interested in for your podcasting. How was it? How was your approach to it changed since since you first started? I will tell you that I've been very consistent with two things. I open with a sixty second elevator pitch about who the author is, and I allow them to share in their own voice about who they are and what they write. Sometimes I have editors, and I'll say, "What do you edit?" Or I'll have a uh, publisher, "What do you publish?" or an agent, you know, what do you represent? But typically it's who you are and what you write. And then we have a discussion about their writing, their journey, what they're doing, connections with who they are. And then I always end with the three rapid fire questions. The biggest changes for me have not been so much with what I do with my interview, but how I produce the podcast on the back end. So what I used to do, I'd go in, I'd make a ton of edits and it was just a lot of extra work. And I've really narrowed it down so that it's much less work and that the quality of it is actually better because of that. And so I'm proud of myself for that. You know, it's all been hands-on, figure it out myself. I think it is really with podcasting because I found we've spoken later before and again, touching what you said before, your podcast was, I think over time, the more you do with them, you get into like a natural rhythm that suits you better as a person. And a lot of it is like I said, it's just trying to encourage your guests to interact with you the best way they can. And that way then you both come out with positive experiences. Yes, I love interacting with people. I love meeting people. I love meeting writers. I could talk about writing for about 12 hours a day. And since I <laughs> sleep for about eight hours a day, that really just leaves time for eating and, you know, maybe an hour with my husband. So, oh, well, I've got my partner as obviously a writer herself and we're the same place that I said this. But we're, we're always involved in projects together and or sometimes separate projects. It's just trying to keep on top of things frequently. It doesn't always work. So now I want to ask you also about today as well, about your Revel coaching, first of all. And then we'll talk about your branded interviews afterwards. So tell us a bit about Revel Coaching, Revel Coaching, where this came from as well. Revel Coach evolved. My sister was trying to shift careers. She was an executive mom. She was working her tail off, traveling all the time, and she wanted to change. And so she'd call me for advice. And then I'd have a question about, you know, the Florida Writers Association or something I was doing, and I'd call her for advice. And then we'd have these conversations. The meanwhile, 
our mom had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so the person we always bounced our ideas off of was our mom. And as she declined, we started to lean on each other a little bit more. It got to the point where we called each other with these great questions, these great ideas. We do research for each other and decided, you know what? I know someone that could talk to us. And we started a program called Tuesday at 2. Every Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern time, which is about five hours uh, earlier than London time. So we would have Tuesday at 2. We would invite a friend to come and they would share their experience. And so it might be somebody who's a professional marketer. It might be somebody who's a banker. It might be somebody who is a another writer and so we'd have these people that would come on and they would share their stories so that we could learn and then we decided to put them on live so we would do them on zoom and have an audience come so they were with a live audience and we're still doing them we're taking the we took a month off my daughter got married and my sister's daughter graduated from high school so we took some time off to go ahead and, and enjoy the beginning part of our summer. And that's how Revel Coach started, was just getting together and really learning about business, learning about entrepreneurship, learning about technology, because technology changes so much. And when you only know one way of doing something, it's really hard to learn something new. And as we've seen, particularly in the last 15 months or so, how fast technology has changed. We were Zoom before Zoom was cool. So we started this two and a half, three years ago, and we had our meetings on Zoom at that point. Well, now everyone has Zoom, but our goal was to get women comfortable with seeing themselves on camera because you know, a lot of middle-aged women just don't like to look at themselves on camera. Now everyone, you know, anyone who's younger than say, I don't know, 25, they all are taking selfies all the time. So they're used to it. But older women, we were a little bit more shy about showing up on camera. And so that was truly the, how Revel Coach began. And I know you asked about branded interviews. And that actually formed out of two different things. One, Rebel Coach, we needed to take some of our videos and use those as advertising in order to help grow our platform. And so I was beginning to do video business cards for our guests that would come on. And that's really how it started. I had a friend who I met on LinkedIn and she was doing video interviews for authors. And so she interviewed me and I was like, why can't I do something like this? And that's exactly how I evolved into creating video business cards. I've done webinars, I've done long form, I've done interviews with authors. So their book trailer and putting that out as well. So those have been really fun to work with. Yeah, completely. It's like you're doing so much stuff like this. Is well, going back to what we said before, because having with you saying you're dyslexic, I'm like I'm dyspraxic. You're channeling your brain in different ways all the time, aren't you? And I know I'm like this. I'm so new to know you're the same way. I'm a firm believer as artists, whether whatever we're doing, we've got to be constantly pushing ourselves onwards to try get different experiences all the time. 
by any means necessary sometimes. Keeps us from being bored, for oh. one. Keeps us, if we're creative, now some people are less creative, but if you're I'm creative, gonna... you really need to continually stretch and push that boundary in order to tap into that creativity. And you don't necessarily even know until you tap into something. So the video editing, that was a whole nother challenge that I took on and really enjoyed. Although I did learn that it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I've done bits of edit video editing and I've signed on some stuff Amanda's done in it. No, not me. Keep off it. It's too much hard work. That's for sure of it. Now, last thing I want to touch you today or last thing before we come to let you do all the plugging. I want to talk to you about some of the books you've been involved in. I know you've done involved in three books, haven't you? So, so I want to know about how you got involved in each one of these. The, each of these three books that's on your website are completely different sort of books. So, should we talk about one about the way I go up, up, top, up to down? First of the book I see is Jose Manuel's Garcia's Oral History of the United Eighty Cuban Boatlift Voices of Mariel. But tell us about that book then. You know, you, you edited that book. How did you get involved in this book? Jose was my neighbor. Ah, oh, coincidentally. Makes, so oh, we that makes that makes life a lot easier straight away. Then. <laughs> exactly. When you you know what you have to be willing to make connections with people because you never know when that person who just lives behind you is going to be the one that has that next business deal for you. So keeping that open mind is so important. But Jose's journey. He's from Cuba, and in 1980, we're the exact same age. So in 1980, we were both 15 years old, and he was living in Cuba, and they were having a huge crisis. And a bunch of people, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, left Cuba for Florida or other points in the world. But many, many, many of them got on boats and made a 90 mile trek in the middle of the Straits of Florida, which are really rough from Cuba to Florida. And they would travel, uh, the boats would go up and down. And these are little fishing boats that um, Fidel Castro allowed the people to leave. They were dissidents. They called them dissidents because they were, who knows, they, they didn't want to do what the government told them or they were a homosexual or they had been considered a criminal, which meant they stole flour to try to feed their families. And he called them dissidents and he said, fine, you can leave the country. And he would load up these fishing boats with all these people that wanted to leave or didn't want to leave. But most of them wanted to leave for the dream of going to the United States. And they would overflow the boats with people so that the water level was just below the top of the boats. I mean, so we're talking if a boat could hold 20 people, it would have 50 people on it. And then they would take this very terrifying journey over the water to the United States. Jose made it to the United States. He got an education. He became a professor and started to interview people that had taken the same trek that he did and wanted to preserve their stories. And that's what this book is. So he interviewed maybe 15 or 20 people that had also taken the same journey that he had to preserve their history. 
it started off with videos. He had videos and then he took those videos and he turned it into a textbook. I guess it's not really a textbook. Uh, it's used in a lot of college classrooms and high school classrooms to be able to teach that history. But that's what that book is about. And I, as a neighbor, um, we started talking about writing. And he was telling me about the book he was doing and it was going to be published by the University of Florida Press, which is exciting. So he already had a publisher. He had editors. They wanted his story. And he had such challenges trying to capture his own thoughts, ideas, and bring it to life. And so he hired me to help him not only with his own story, but then to edit and work with the rest of his book. And so it was um, a really fun, fun project to work on. Yeah, the free books are on your website, all the complete different sort of books they are. I can see straight away with each one of them, you, it's not been big ed, essentially, you would have got something completely different out of all three of them. And as we've said before, then I've got influencing narrative in this podcast. Yeah, I can see you getting that now. Scott Henley's book, Resolve, Courage, Hope, which you've had a hand in as well. That's just an absolutely incredible story, that one. How did you meet Scott? Scott was the one who I said I had thought I'd start writing, and he reached out randomly. I didn't know him. He said, I've got this story. I want someone to write it. Here's me. And he sent me a whole bunch of newspaper articles, like links to newspaper articles. And I looked at my husband. I was like, do you think this is legit? So I was, you know, Thinking is kind of odd, the whole thing. Well, his story is a true crime story, and it's one that he could not tell himself. It sent him into a dizzying uh, spiral of depression and alcoholism. The story itself, just to give you a brief background, he owns a business, and there's a handful of offices. One of his customers came in and came in and with a gun, shot his employees, lit the place on fire. He had tied the girls up. One of the girls was pregnant, tied them up in the bathroom and uh, and then, yeah, lit it on fire. And so then it's the, the entire story that unfolds that goes along with that. So we have a capital murder case. Uh, they have um, times when he has to appear in court, but He's been told he can't share anything. So now he doesn't know if, you know, Big Brother's watching and listening to his computers through his toaster. He's he's totally paranoid and he has no one to talk to about all these horrific things that he has experienced. And so he just closes down and really just uses a bottle as medication. He ends up in recovery and he didn't end up in recovery until after we were about 75 percent complete with the story itself so the very last chapter is him and his recovery and it it is it's a powerful it's a powerful journey that he went on and we did win a royal palm Larry award with that one it was it was rough to tell and it was uh, it this sounds really kind of, it, it was a pleasure for me to work with him on this story. Oh, yeah, completely. It's an incredible story, that one. Because people obviously read the blurb on Alison's website, and I sat there thinking, I thought, 
that's the sort of story. If I got approached about that, and I'm no ghostwriter of editing the level you are, I thought I would have had a go at that immediately myself. It's just, it's there's something there, and it just has to be told straight away. So yeah. Now the last book, obviously the first one out then that you were doing, that's on the bottom of the website, is again is your motivational moments, one that you helped out with Jason Wilbanks Brown on. And now that is something completely different altogether as well. So tell us a bit about that then as well. You're right. It's totally different than the other two. He had an idea for a story. He had a very close relationship with his grandfather and his grandfather would encourage him to research motivational stories. And he would share these stories that he'd find with his employees. And then when his grandfather passed away, he didn't know what to do with all these stories that he'd gathered and decided to put them into a book. So it's 52 weeks of devotional type of reads. So they're very short stories, one page a piece about inspiring people in history. For example, how the sticky note came to be. Sticky notes. Wow. You don't think much about them. You don't really do it. No, no. No, but you know, it was a, a mistake. It, someone worked at okay, I'm I'm could be one hundred percent off on my facts here, but the, the general gist of the story is you had a chemist who worked for three M, pretty sure it was three M, and he was making a type of adhesive. And it was supposed to be super sticky. But this stuff wasn't super sticky, obviously. It became post-it notes. And so they decided rather than throw it away, that they would just keep it. And it turned out to be really useful for certain things. If they had a, a note that they wanted to give to somebody, they would just sort of put the glue on the back of the piece of paper and they'd stick it onto their table or their desk or something. And eventually another chemist or another engineer used it to put a bookmark in his hymnal. So when he was at church and would sing songs, he was in the choir he could find the pages easily because the bookmark wouldn't fall out because it had the sticky stuff on it. And so that's basically how the sticky note came to be. So it's stories like that. There are 52 quick little stories. The idea is there's some questions in there that offer inspiration. And this book was a lot of editing, but it was also, he didn't necessarily have 52 <laughs> stories. He had about... 40 stories. So I had to go find oh. some other stories and I had oh. to, to help oh, him, yeah. and, which was, which was a lot of fun for me. So. Oh yeah. Now Stephanie, we do that sort of work like that. It's no projects the same really. And that's a perfect point there. Definitely with that. So I can imagine again, you had a really good time on that. So excellent. Okay. Well, that's called all my questions today, Alison. So two things to wrap up on. And I always like you, if people know your podcast, you like to give people random questions. I always like to give you I like to ask, what's next? So what plans do you have coming next and with your, with your creative projects that you can reveal? Creative projects, what's on my bucket list? All yeah. right, my bucket list is my sister and I are writing a story. We want to preserve the memories that we had from growing up and how those have turned into lessons of ways to live your life in a more positive, influential manner. We lived in a place that we dubbed Camp Brown. Oh, it was a lot of fun. It was on the top of a hill. It was a real old house. It happened to be my grandmother's house when she was growing up. 
and it had been passed to her brother and then my dad purchased it from them. So we grew up in this place that was to us magical. Downstairs in the basement, there was a shuffleboard floor. My dad put in a giant blackboard. We had added a pool and a tennis court and the, the house itself evolved. And we had all these great memories from it. So we really wanted to do a book on life lessons from Camp Brown. And also as an ode to our mom who does have Alzheimer's and, you know, she's still with us, but she's not with us. And that's another challenge that we have. In the meanwhile, I am blogging and some of them are my blogs and some of them I'm ghost blogging, but it's been a lot of fun to continue that because to me, blogging taps into my love for what I like to call flash memoir. So on my own blog, alisonnison.com, I do a lot of flash memoir stories. They're my stories in 500 words or less. And so it's literally maybe a two minute window of time. And it helps to, helps me share my stories. It helps me continue to stay creative. It also helps me with my dyslexia because the more I engage with words, the better I am at keeping it. Un okay, it's, dyslexia is not something you keep under control, but that you manage. So when I step away from words, I find that it tends to become a bigger problem. So when I'm able to stay engaged with words, I really am able to thrive easier. Yeah, no, of course, I completely agree with that one straight away. It's not brilliant. Okay, if people want to find out more about you, Alison, where are the best going? AlisonNisson.com would be my my suggestion. Yes, I agree with that. And if people want to find out where the Florida Writers podcast is, where are the best going? Ah, the Florida Writer Podcast. Dot, you know, I don't even know if it's a dot com. You can find it on the FloridaWriters.net uh, or FloridaWriters.org. We changed our the last three three numbers there. FloridaWriters.org is the Florida Writers Association website. You don't have to be from Florida to join. I highly recommend it. We have uh, we have a lot of international members actually. So. If you want to check out the Florida Writers Association, uh, uh, their website, I would do so. We've got a great contest, by the way. And then members also have the opportunity to enter a contest that's a free one. So that's always fun. It's good to me. Okay, well, that's covered all my questions today, Alison. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And I know you're going to do some bit of a, read out an example of your own work for us in the second half, aren't you? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Looking forward to it. Been a pleasure to have and enjoyed this. So, thank you again, Alison. Hang around, everybody. We'll see you in a minute after a quick break. Spoke Hi, guys. Straight old Alison. She's going to do a blog post for us, which I think is the first time she's spoken label, but I'm looking forward to it. Over to you, Alison. Thank you so much, Andy. I am going to read a blog post that I did. It's a flash memoir, so based on a true story, it's called Gotcha. There I was, in the Congo. Wild animals all around. I focused the camera, looked at the lens, and 
Let's just say there was carnage and it wasn't pretty. Okay, well, I wasn't in the Congo, but there were wild animals and I did focus the camera lens and, oh, the carnage. Well, truth be told, there weren't any wild animals either, but the bulls were running. Men dressed in white, wearing red sashes, ran through the streets. The noise caught my attention first, feet slapping on cobblestone streets in the Barrio Alta of Lisbon, Portugal. They approached without warning and with such speed, I jumped from the sidewalk into the doorway. The stars shone that night, the air crisp and clear. Shopkeepers stood in front of their businesses, beckoning for customers, gesturing toward their front entrances, handing out cards and coupons. Try the fish. We have pizza. Come join us. They smiled. The night was young. The bachelor party of men outfitted in mazos, runners from the bulls, chased a single man dressed as a cow through the narrow streets and skirted bistro tables that sat awkwardly along the steeply sloped alleyways. My husband and I entered the establishment. The barkeep smiled and poured us a small draft, local brew, while passing along insider tips about local restaurants and tourist attractions. Don't take the train up north if you value your wallets. Visit Penna Palace for spectacular views. We talked for a while as I swiveled nonchalantly on my bar stool, which had been screwed into the back edge of the platform, which had perched. My husband stood casually behind me. Smile, I said as I pulled out my phone and held it above our heads, a picture to commemorate the evening. Oh, that's no good. Take another one. And another. Five or ten pictures later, frustrated at the poor photography, I precariously leaned against my husband for one last photo. His boot heels slid off the platform as he momentarily lost his footing. In doing so, he grabbed my shoulders, only to have gravity overpower him, and he slowly fell to the floor. The chain of events could not be undone. I quickly grabbed for the bar top while my fingertips slid from the polished granite counter. Unable to maintain my upward position, I, too, gradually tumbled from the seat. I gotcha, I heard my husband mumble as I landed squarely on top of him. We laughed, dusted ourselves off, and stood back up. Down the street, the party raged on. The stars still twinkled, only our pride slightly shaken. A short while later, a colleague emailed us an article from the Ireland Journal of Medicine. The number one, the number of selfie injuries has quadrupled in recent months. So the next time you're in the Congo, or the wilds of Barrio Alta, or in the backwoods of Lakeland, Florida. Please remember, selfies are hazardous to your health. Like it. Well, I'll have a model at the end of that, uh, definitely. It's a really good ending, Alison. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, it's based on a true story. <laughs> and they got the hint there for that, though, at the end of it, yeah. There was some element of truth in that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna obviously say how much is truth and how much is fiction, but I can definitely tell there for that. So brilliant today, Alison. Thank you for that today. So right, thank you again. I've really, really enjoyed it today. So let's let's hope when you've actually enjoyed being on somebody else's podcast or doing your own for a change. So it's quite a different experience, I think, actually. So what do you think the oh, people's podcast? I like it. But as I mentioned earlier, I could talk about writing for hours and hours and hours. So it's not that difficult of a subject for me to share. 
Now, same for me as well, as you can tell. I think it's because we're both such quiet, shy people, me and you, aren't we? That's what's probably done it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> By the way, listen, hang around me. That's better. I need to put the off mic, but I've really enjoyed it today. So thank you again. So thank you so much for having me on. That's it today, guys and girls, for Spoken Label. As Don Callis says over Impact Wrestling, as I always say to conclude with, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you next time. Spoken Label.